the Jesus that is the, well, I'll say this, but you'll know what I mean when I say this in the context I'm saying it, the controversial Jesus. The one that, the one that annoys people a bit much. And we're grateful for that Jesus. We love, like I've said, we are consistently loving the Jesus that is in the, in the uh, manger. Everybody loves that Jesus. What's there not to love? He's a baby. <laughs> right? What's there not to love? He's a baby. He's been born into this world as the son of God. No controversy, no opinion. Just sitting there being a baby. Everybody loves babies. But the Jesus that has a full message on your life, that is pronouncing on you that there's something wrong, that's the Jesus we have a problem with. To be honest, we actually also love the Jesus who heals the sick. We love that one. We love that Jesus who is willing to heal the sick. The one we don't have, a, the one we have more of a problem with, the one that we struggle with, <laughs> is the one that has an opinion about how your life is supposed to be. <laughs> so we slice up Jesus, usually when people are talking about Jesus, they've sliced him up already, and they've excluded the parts that they don't want, set it aside and creating a new Jesus. It includes his birth. It includes the miracles. It includes the casting out of spirits, but it naturally excludes all the things that we find uncomfortable and problematic. And I'm here to reinsert the whole Jesus and reintroduce you to exactly who he is. That's our job is to look at scripture and figure out who he is to us today. What we find when we look at this Jesus is so much of what he says isn't just um, applicable today, but is more probably more applicable in this day than it has ever been. <laughs> so it's actually a little bit almost contradictory, the scripture I'm going to go to, because in this particular scripture, he says almost nothing. St. John chapter 8, verses 1 through 11 is where I'll be reading from today. St. John chapter 8 verses 1 through 11, St. John chapter 8, verses 1 through 11. Um, this is a, a wonderful scripture, not because of what Jesus says, but because how little of it he actually does say. This is why I love this scripture, because there is so much message in the space. For example, I could say to my brother, I love your outfit, but, and if I walk away at that point, you know I had, I've left him hanging. I've, I've, I've asked him to fill in the gap of what the thing is I was thinking. I like your shoes, but, and now I'm gone. I am left to fill in the gap of the statement. And I saw this as a technique Jesus used here. He doesn't use the word but. But he proposes a small thing and leaves it for everybody to interpret. So I'm just going to read this scripture. I'm going to ask you to stand while I do. St. John chapter 8, verses 1 through 11. I'm going to stand and just read the scripture into your reading real quick. St. John chapter 8, 1 through 11. Jesus went unto the Mount of Olives. And early in the morning, he came again into the temple and all the people came unto him, and he sat down and taught them. And the scribes and the Pharisees brought unto him a woman taken in adultery. And when they had set her in the midst, 
they say unto him, Master, this woman was taken in adultery, in the very act. They say unto him, Master, this woman, sorry, now Moses in the law commanded us that such should be stoned. But what sayest thou? This they said, tempting him, that they might have to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down and with his finger wrote on the ground as though he heard them not. So when they continued asking him, he lifted up himself and said unto them, he that is without sin among you, let him first cast a stone at her. And again he stooped down and wrote on the ground. And they which heard it being convicted by their own conscience went out one by one, beginning at the eldest, even unto the last. And Jesus was left alone and the woman standing in the midst. And when Jesus had lifted up himself and saw none but the woman, he said unto her, Woman, where are those thine accusers? Hath no man condemned thee? She said, No man, Lord. And Jesus said unto her, Neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. May the Lord add a blessing to the reading of the word. Please take your seats. I'm so excited about this scripture this morning. <laughs> I'm so excited about this scripture for a variety of reasons. Um, this is a really, I've been doing a lot of reading around this scripture, and this is a scripture that has caused even the church some consternation, some heartburn. That's why I love it even the more. And I want it to, because when we realize that that feeling of uncomfort is the spirit and the word, taking our lives and shaking it a little bit. Like it's the work, you want to feel uncomfortable a little bit. Because it's telling you that your heart is still receptive. You know what the problem is with the word with us? It's not when it hurts, it's when it no longer impacts us. That's the big problem. When the, we just don't care what we hear now. That's the problem, I can't work with that. What can I do with you if the word doesn't hurt you a little bit? We can work with that. It's when the word does nothing to you. That's when I have trouble with the word, what to preach. How can I preach to you if it doesn't impact you? Amen? So here we're standing in this moment. There's a couple of things I want to draw out before I get into the meat of this particular teaching and this preaching. In the first verse, it says that Jesus went into the, out onto the Mount of Olives. This was actually a regular, I talked about this in, in the teaching exposition. This was a regular occurrence for Jesus. He had a regular cadence of going into the Mount of Olives, into the gardens into the Mount of Olives, and then he would come down during the day um, and teach in the temple all day. Then he would retreat once again into the Mount of Olives. He had this regular cadence of, they knew exactly where he is. The reason why the soldiers knew where to come get Jesus because he had been doing the same pattern every night. He had been preaching in the temple and going back to the Mount of Olives in the garden. And I love this idea, and I was just speaking to um, Brother Quincy about this. You sometimes have to take a step back. Jesus didn't preach all night. He came back and retreated to his people, had a much more intimate setting, and prayed with them, relaxed with them, whatever he was doing, but the work of his ministry was in the temple during the day. Sometimes you have to take a 
step back. We do. There's no situation where working 24 hours a day, seven days a week is a healthy situation. You know, we look at the, um, the, the, the beginning of the creation, how the Lord worked to create the, the earth, and on the seventh day he rested. And we've talked about this of ad infinitum. Did he need rest? No. Did he absolutely, did he absolutely take the time to sit back? And we seem to think that we don't need to rest. You need to rest. Take a bead, take a moment, restore yourself. You don't have to give me an excuse. Just tell me, you know what, I need a rest. You just can't do it today. <laughs> that's, that's why um, Sabbath is so integrated into the, into the, um, into the Jewish custom. Yes. Sabbath is tied right in there. They literally make themselves stop working to follow exactly what the law is. It was given to you. Take a rest sometimes. It's good for the spirit, good for the soul. So Jesus is this, this cadence of going to the Mount of Olives to rest, to be with the disciples, and he would come down and do the work with the people. And in verse 2, we see that he comes down to the temple on this particular day. And the scripture tells us that when he gets to the temple, all the people in the area come to see him. And apparently they are, have him in, completely encircled. They have him completely encircled. He's in the middle of these people, yes. right? And um, Jesus is teaching them. And verse 2 says, And in early in the morning he came against the temple, and all the people came unto him, and he sat down, and he taught them. He taught them. So I love about this moment is that this is these people's deliberate desire is to hear from the Lord. Yes. Hear from him. Yes. What is he saying? And all the people are in his presence, sitting there, listening and participating. But then along comes in verse 3, what is described as scribes and Pharisees. Scribes and Pharisees insert themselves into this teaching moment with a desire not to be taught, but to kind of catch Jesus in this, this political kind of situation. <laughs> Um, I promise you I've been thinking about this for, for many, many weeks. Um, what I'm about to preach and teach on has got nothing to do with what's going on this week. I've been looking at the scripture for weeks and weeks and weeks. Um, so, so take from it what you will. But this is the Holy Spirit speaking to me from the beginning. Okay, so let's go, let's go look at that verse 3. It says, and the scribes and the Pharisees. Let's first tell what scribes and Pharisees are. Scribes are scholars of the time. They're scholars specifically of the law. So today's idea of that everybody can read and write isn't true in the society we are thinking about in this moment. That everybody can both read and write the law isn't true. There are a very specific order of people who can have that skill, who can both read what the law says and then speak it to the people who can't read it. So you have a natural advantage over everyday people if you're a scholar because you have been taught to read and write. It's also the job of these scribes to write out the law and duplicate it exactly so that other people can then write and read it, right? So these people have incredible power and authority because very few people have the ability to read and write. They automatically have a position of power because of their learning. 
right? That probably doesn't exist today. We don't have a set of people who, it would be like a set of people who only, they're the only ones who have access to the internet. <laughs> How much of an advantage would that be? If when you were going to class, only one, you had access to the internet and not even your teacher did. You would have such an advantage. Um, teacher, I'm not sure that's true. Right? You would, you would quote Wikipedia to them in a heartbeat and no one else would be able to get access to it. That's what the scribes are like. They think they have access to something that no one else has access to. But in addition to the scribes, he also describes the Pharisees as being there. Now the Pharisees are a particular sect of Jews who are strict observers of the law. Not just the written law, they also have an oral, a spoken law that they've passed down to each other too. And this oral and written law, they, they are exacting about what the law should be and how it's followed. The Pharisees, interestingly enough, Paul the Apostle in Philippians says he was a, a, a Pharisee. Tells us that, and we find out in Acts, that he said he was taught by Galamiel. This man, Galamiel, was a Pharisee teacher. And if we look at general history, we see Galamiel was, was the Pharisee of Pharisees, right? So we know that there's a connection here to scripture that's an important one. So the scribes and the Pharisees, these authorities in the, in the community, these people who are the top of the community, the most listened to, who expect to be followed, have come and inserted themselves into the space that Jesus has got. And they're here not to learn, they're here to entrap. We have to be very careful some questions people are going to ask you have nothing to do with learning about Jesus. Learning about Jesus and what he says, learning about Jesus and what he does, learning about Jesus and who he is. You think that that's what they want, but what they really want is to simply entrap you. It's like a snare. It's like a trap. They're trying to get you into a position where they can say, aha, you see, I told you that's what they were really like. That's the, the desire of these people. And they've done it in such a way, not to do it with, to, to maybe, like even if they thought Jesus was just a regular guy, that I've got to help. They're not doing it like that. They've waited not for Jesus to be in the Mount of Olives, they've waited for Jesus to come down out of the Mount of Olives. Remember, they're gonna capture him there, they know where he is. But they've waited for him to come down out of the Mount of Olives, be in a temple with all the people around, and now they're going to trap him in this situation. And what do they use to trap him? Let's go read in the scripture. They say unto him, Master, first of all, you're saying Master, but I know what you mean when you say Master. It sounds, it sounds like it's an honor, but they're not saying it like, it, they're saying it the question tells me you're not saying it right. And I don't know if you've ever seen this where somebody asks you a question, not because they want to know something, because they want to fight with you. And you can decide at that point, wait a minute, now, any answer I give you, I know good and well, you're going to force me 
to, to, to have a fight with you. Now, if I don't answer you, that's a fight. If I give you the right answer, that's definitely a fight. And if I give you the wrong answer, you're going to know I'm giving you the wrong answer. And that's a fight. That's what this situation is. They've come to Jesus, not with the expectant desire of salvation, but how can I get one up on Jesus? And we're living in a world where that seems to be the norm with the relationship we have with the world. They're coming at us, not with the desire to learn or to humbly submit, but they're looking for an opportunity to show how we're the hypocrites. And I'm like, wait a minute. The whole way you've positioned that question lets me know you're not being genuine already. Have you seen that before? Where people come at you with questions and you say, wait a minute. No matter how I answer that question, it's going to make you sound like I don't care about what you're... Wait a minute. And you know what? I love the way Jesus, I'd like to say this is the controversial Jesus. I love the way he approached this whole situation. First of all, not every question needs an answer. You know what I've realized this and I've got comfortable more? I thought I had to know, and part of my ministry and the growing, of, in, growing in maturity in the ministry, is I thought I had to have an answer to every question. I thought that if I didn't have the answer to every question, that was a failing with me. But sometimes these questions aren't even meant to have answers. And we have to get comfortable with this idea that people have to get to their salvation in the way that they're going to get to their salvation. And no answer you give them is going to help. <laughs> That's a tough one spiritually to understand, but it's a reality. And so they've approached Jesus um, and they've asked him a question about this woman. Let's go look at this question. They say unto him, Master, this woman was taken in the very act. In, taken in adultery in the very act. Now, Moses in the law commanded us that such should be stoned. But what sayest, what are you saying about this? <laughs> Isn't that interesting? They are pitting Jesus against Moses. They're saying, Mo they know who Moses is to these people. You know who Moses is to, to the Jews. He's, he's, there's only two people, I mean, if you start a conversation about what it is to be Jewish, there's two people you should mention. Abraham and Moses. Everybody else, I mean, King David's important, the prophets are important, but those two are the foundational people when it comes to the Hebrew nation. So you'll know what they're doing when they're saying, that's like me coming into the room and saying to, um, saying to my sister, um, mom says you've got to do the dishes, but what are you saying? Um, what do you mean, what am I saying? What, what's she supposed to say about that? If mom said it, what do you, you know it's over. That's how they treated the question. But they've done it, what, when did they do it? Not when he was up in the Mount of Olives, when he's in the temple publicly teaching. It's a trap. This is a trap. It's not even a really a question. They know what the law of Moses is and they know what they're supposed to happen. There's some other things that are important about this moment though. <laughs> they aren't just Jews. They are Jews under Roman law. Which means they don't have the power to execute anybody. According to the scripture, you're supposed to stone this woman. And they want to trap Jesus between Moses and Rome. Yes, Rome is the in charge of everybody. They're the governing empire across this whole region. Rome is saying you can't execute anybody. 
That's why they had to take Jesus to, 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 um, to, to, to Pilate specifically, right? They couldn't crucify him themselves. They had to get authority to do so. But they've come to Jesus and they said, Moses said this, and you know good and well, Rome's on this other side. What do you say? This is a trap. It's not even a real question, to be honest. It's like those folks who, I don't know if you've ever had this. I've had people come to me and ask me this. Well, can God create a stone big enough that even he can't pick it up? I'm like, wait a minute. What, what are you talking about? Asking me to answer a question that is in its origin foolishness. Like, you know good and well the question is foolish. First of all, God can't contradict himself. That's the first thing. He is holy. He is one. So how in the world is he going to create something that's going to contradict himself? That's like saying, can God lie? No, he cannot. He is holy. <laughs> but you see what the point of the question isn't to in fact help. It's to sow discord and doubt. Some questions require no answer. And I love how Jesus approached this. So what does he say next? This verse 6, this they said, tempting him that he might have to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down with his finger, wrote on the ground as though he heard them not. He acted like they didn't even ask a question. I don't know if you've ever had that way. Somebody just asks you a question and all you can do is sigh and walk away. Like, I heard you, but no. I heard what you said, but I'm not getting into this with you right now. And we, the church, have to be real comfortable sometimes with saying, you know, I know where you're going with this, and I'm going to say no to that. Like, I'm going to give you space to be in that space, but I don't have to be with you in that space. Amen? So what is the, well, how are they trying to trap Jesus? Let's look at some of the scriptures around here that they're using to trap Jesus. Let's look at Leviticus 20, verse 10. This is where, this is the scripture there. The scribes and Pharisees know good and well about the written tradition here. And they know about the oral traditions around the written traditions. I'm going to talk about those in, in, in a second here. Leviticus 20, verse 20, 10. Can somebody find that for me? Yes, sir. And the man yes. that committed adultery. He commits adultery, yep. And another... And another, excuse me, with another man's yeah. wife. Yep, yep. Even he that committeth adultery yep. with his neighbor's wife, yep. the adulterer and adulteress yep. shall surely put, be put to death. Okay, perfect. All right, what have we learned from this scripture here? Something is wrong with this picture already. Right, what, last, the last verse, last part of that verse, what did it say again? Both of them shall surely be put so already we know something's wrong let's go back and read they say unto him master this woman was taken in adultery in the very <sighs> so we somehow have caught this situation in its very act and the scripture said read that one more time that last part again one more time and the adulterer and the adulterer shall surely be both of them should be put to death. And who do they have in front of Jesus? One woman. But you somehow caught this person in the very act. Yes, sir. 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 Yes,
The hypocrisy is already here. They've brought this woman to Jesus, having found her in the very act. Where was the dude? Yes, sir. It, there was two of them, right? That's correct. Yes, sir. That's right. And according to the scripture that you know you can read and write, yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. you're the only ones in this whole room yes, who can read and write that. And you've gone and just you've not even done what you're supposed to do. You know what it also says in Deuteronomy? I think it's Deuteronomy 17:7. Um, it says that whoever witnesses it, they're the ones that's supposed to kick it off with the stone throwing. The witness is the one who's supposed to do it. <laughs> and yet they've taken this woman all the way from wherever the act was done, all the way across to bring them down, left the man. They did, yes sir, yes sir. Hypocrisy, traps, meant to deceive and confuse, and they've done it in a public place to make sure that they get their point across in front of the people that Jesus is trying to teach. <sighs> Be very careful, I, I mean to say this deliberately and purposefully, be very capable of people who sound like you, but in their heart they're not you. You have to be very careful, they exist, and I'm sorry, they sound like you sometimes, and they will make their messages overlap with yours enough to make you think that they're believing the way you're believing, and the truth is they're not. You have to be very careful, the scripture says you'll know things, you'll know them by their fruit. Meaning, you know when you go to get grapes, it's about one month out of the year that it's clear that this is grapes from this. Mm -hmm. yes, Aside from that, it just looks like a bush. Yes, all right, all right. Looks like a random bush. And then one month out of the year, it, you could, ah, grapes. That's sweet, that's nice. The rest of the 11 months, we ain't really sure what it is. Unless that's your job, unless that's what you're doing. You could walk past that whole bush for 11 months out of the year not realizing that there's fruit, good fruit coming out of that. And I'm here to tell you sometimes folks we've been hanging out with for a long time, it takes a while, but if you wait long enough and be patient enough, you will eventually see their fruit. But I'm here to tell you it may not be obvious on day one. It's not obvious in winter what their fruit is. It's not obvious in spring what their fruit is. It's late summer when grapes start to, 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 to come out. So be very careful. These people sound right. It sounds like they're trying to honor God, but the truth is all they're trying to do is get a one-upmanship in a public place to get a political advantage over Jesus. Sounds like it's righteous. <laughs> sounds, like it's sounds like it's righteous, but it's not. Sounds like it's righteousness, but it's not at all. <clears throat> We have to be careful just because their messages overlap for a little bit doesn't necessarily mean they're for us, doesn't necessarily mean they're with us. You have to see when the fruit comes out. Amen? Let me keep going here. Verse 6, this they said, tempting him. They said, tempting him that they might have to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down with his finger, wrote on the ground as though he heard them not completely ignoring. So he's been in this moment teaching the people. They bring this accusation into the middle of this. He stops talking 
and starts writing on the ground. We are not led to realize what, he what he's writing. We don't know, he could be writing the law, he could be, we, we, but the things we do know now is Jesus can read and write, which tells the scribes something already. There's a message in his writing. I know what you know. <laughs> I know what you know. You've got everybody else tricked, but I know what you know. Scribing something means I can write too. Oh, you scribes came in here thinking that this was just a regular dude. This was somebody who can read and who can write just like you. Thank you, Jesus. You've got no advantage here. So immediately I can see them probably reassessing their approach here. Have we messed up? This guy's writing? Yes, sir. He knows more than I realized he knows. Because when you're the only one who reads and writes, you can just bring the guy and no one else knows you were supposed to bring the girl and the guy. But you now know Jesus knows, you're stuck. You can't go back, you can't go forward. What are you gonna do? I love this Jesus. Even without words, he's pulling them into his situation. He's just writing it down, letting you know you've messed up. You've messed up. You're not the only ones who can read here. Okay, let's keep going. Verse six, this said they, tempting him that they might have to accuse him, but Jesus stooped down with his finger, wrote on the ground as though he heard them not. So when they continued asking him, they continued, look, we're not, we can't back off now. We've started this public thing. Everybody's looking at us. We are looking at them. We're looking at you. We can't retreat. And so they continued to ask him. He lifted up himself and said unto them, he that is without sin among you. Ah, <laughs> uh, not me. See, what people want to do with scripture is divide it up and use the parts that are convenient to them, disregard the rest, and then hold you accountable for all of it. <laughs> and you've got to be careful even agreeing with people who agree just with the parts you agree with because they're going to agree with you here and, and call you a hypocrite for not believing the rest. Be very careful. Sometimes not answering at all is the best answer. <laughs> Let me read, keep reading here. So when they continued asking him, he lifted up himself and said unto them, he that is without sin among you, let him first cast a stone at her. What's been interesting this whole time, and the whole thing I want to make realize this is, this woman has been standing there waiting to die this whole time. And I realized when I was reading the scripture this week is we completely overlooked the very real human being that was standing there waiting to die by being stoned. And what does Jesus do with the words he says? He reasserts that she's actually standing right here and if you all want to kill her, yes, sir. Yes, sir. you're going to have to do it with a sinless hand yes, that you don't have. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Come on, come on, Richard. Come on, Richard. Yeah. Yes, sir. Come on, Richard. Yes, sir. We have to be very careful. I've been looking at a couple of scriptures where Jesus was saying, um, be careful what you judge, how you judge. Right. 
Because if you judge with a certain attitude, that attitude's going to be given back to you. That's right, that's right. I've been very careful with that. When I was younger, <laughs> um, and we had um, uh, uh, foster children, I used to be very careful, because I was always thinking to myself, if I'm strict with them, doesn't that mean mom and dad should be strict with me? So I always was thinking to myself, well, maybe I shouldn't be as strict with them, so that make sure that I didn't get as much myself. And I think sometimes we need to have that attitude towards other people. Because you have your weaknesses, whether you're going to tell me about them or not. You have that thing that is in you that you know you have to get under control, that you know you're going to be forced to live with for the rest of your life, and it's the grace of God that's going to make you make it. So what has been extended in this moment? We all know what's right and wrong. But what's been extended in this moment isn't more of the law, it's God's grace that's been extended in this moment. Here's the funny thing is, they were absolutely right according to the law. They were absolutely right concerning her, they were hypocritical, but they were right concerning her. And Jesus is saying, well, seeing as you were the ones who saw it, according to the law, I know how to read and write too, and seeing as you're the ones who brought her, You're also, according to Deuteronomy 17, you're supposed to be the ones who execute there. So if you're the ones who's supposed to execute her, just the one who has no sin, you get started first. (laughs) You get started first. And when you think about judgment in that way, it's very difficult to judge your brother and your sister. It's very difficult. Look, I break out, and this is just a rough guide on how I think about sin as a part of a society. When the, when the Ten Commandments were given, Moses was given the Ten Commandments. The first, ten, first of the four commandments were about God. Thou shalt not take his name in vain. You'll worship no other gods. Went on like that for the first four. The last six were about the community. Thou shalt not steal. Thou shalt not bear false witness. No adultery, right? Those are about community. I don't want to steal from you because you're part of my community. I don't want you to murder me because we're together, right? There's also another part that this kind of alludes to, is that there's sins against your own body. It's fornication. The scripture tells it's a sin against your own self. So you have a sin against yourself, you have a sin against the community, and you have a sin against God. But when I'm sinning against myself, it impacts my community. When I'm sinning against my community, it impacts God because we're all his people. So they're all connected together anyway. So we don't get a chance to do a little bit of sin over here and it just impacts us. If you're hurting yourself, you hurt the community. If you hurt the community, you hurt and have packed God. You don't get to do it for yourself and say, well, it's just me and I'm just doing it to me. So what does it matter to you? No, you're part of my community. Hurting yourself, doing this to yourself, isn't just hurting you, it's hurting the community. So he says to these people, he who's without sin, let him cast the first stone, all right? And again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. I know if you, whoever throws it, you must have caught it. 
and I know you're the hypocrite. He's, he's telling them again everything that they need to know. And verse 9, and they which heard it, being convicted of their own conscience. Remember at this moment, Jesus is in the middle. The people are surrounding. Jesus is in the midst. They've now brought a woman into the middle there, and the accusers are in the middle too. They have shunned the light on themselves by bringing themselves into this teaching moment. And now the light has reversed from the woman to them. They have publicly, they've tried to bring a judgment to this woman and by leaving, what they've said is, we're just as guilty as her. They had to leave and when they did leave, it told everybody, you're just as guilty as she is. That's why we have to be careful with the judgment we judge. And again he stooped down, and they which heard it, sorry, being convicted of their own conscience, went out, went out one by one, beginning at the eldest, (laughs) even unto the last. I like to think about this as self-chastisement. This is, and the oldest got it, it's like, oh, wait a minute, I'm trapped. Oh, wait a minute, if I stay, I'm trapped. If I leave, I'm trapped. Let me just get out of here. And the oldest left. He realized I'm less. Can you imagine being the, the last one, the youngest one? He, you there looking for this woman to be stoned. And everybody else is left but you. And the penny drops. And you realize if I stone this woman, everybody has the right to stone me because I've been sinning this whole time. You're the last one for it to realize, even from the oldest to the youngest, and you have to get out of that circle too. And the only person who has the right to do anything in this moment is still standing there with the woman. This woman who is expecting in this moment to die, she still hasn't left. And she's left in the presence of Jesus. So when Jesus had lifted up himself and saw none but the woman, he said unto her, woman, where are those thine accusers? Hath no man condemned thee? It's amazing that in the presence of the Lord, it's difficult to condemn somebody. And this is the Jesus that hasn't gone to the cross yet, but somehow the redemptive power is in this moment. Somehow the redemptive power is in this moment. Come on, sir. Come on, sir. And they're standing there in the presence of Jesus. Yes, sir. And the accusers can no longer find evidence oh my God. Yes, sir. of the thing that they saw with their own two eyes. <laughs> with their own two eyes, they said they saw this woman. <laughs> and they brought her with apparently evidence in the Jewish law. All you need is two or three witnesses. They had that. So they had everything they need, but in the presence of the grace of God. Still wasn't enough evidence. In the presence of his grace, there still is insufficient evidence against the people of God. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Don't get out of his presence. Don't let anybody push you out. Don't you run. Yes, sir. The one good thing that that woman did was not leave. Oh, my. I hope you understand the one good thing she did that day was not leave. She stayed long enough. Long enough. Oh, my. For the grace of God to overtake her. She stayed long enough for his blood that was shed on Calvary to apply to her. 
You know what the crazy thing is? Had the Pharisees stayed long enough, come on, sir. They'd have got redemption too. But they left. I don't care how bad it gets for you. Stay in the presence of Jesus. I don't care how rough it gets for you. I don't care how upside down your life is. Don't quit on him. Don't get out of his presence. Oh my, yes, sir. Stay there. Oh my, oh my. There's grace in his presence. Jesus is looking around saying, Well, where's your accusers? Where are they? They brought you here. They're the ones that are supposed to start this off. I know how to read and write. They're the ones who are supposed to throw the first stone, not me. Where are they? Thank you, Jesus. She said, No man, Lord. You know what she was saying? There is no evidence left of what I've done. In his presence, remove the evidence. I know what you saw. I know where I was. I know what I did. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. But there's no evidence left. Oh, my God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. I know where you saw me that night. Yes, sir, yes, sir. I know where I was running out of. But I'm in his presence in now. Hallelujah. I'm not yes, leaving sir. his presence if yes, you push me, kick me, stone me. I'm not leaving. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Thank you, Jesus. This is he who's going to go to the cross and shed his blood. This is he who's going to wash away my sins. This is he who's going to make things that are old. He's going to make them new. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you. You know what the problem is? With folks these days, and we've been like this for a while, we get sick of the people who are judging us, who have brought us into the presence just to judge us. And I'm telling you, outweigh them. They're not going to hang around. I know that's one of the things they criticize church. They're so judgmental. They're so judgmental. And you're right. And you're right. But you know what? I'm going to outlast all those judgmental folks in his presence. When they're finished being judgmental and hypocritical, I'm going to be still standing in his presence. Waiting for a word from him. Don't let them run you off. There's grace in his presence. <laughs> Amen. There's grace there. You can get deliverance right there. So what does he say? He says, woman, where are those thine accusers? Hath no man condemned thee? She says, no man, Lord. Nobody's left accusing me. And Jesus said unto her, neither do I condemn thee. I'm going to get to the second part in a, in a moment. He says, neither do I condemn thee. The one who was writing the whole time. The one who knew they were coming when he set up shop that morning. He knew what was coming. Can you, just for a moment, do you know how patient you have to be to know everything and still see somebody coming to you and have to speak to you like, I don't know what you're about to say. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's what Jesus is doing. Yes. Jesus knows who the woman is. Yes. Jesus knows what she was doing and who she was doing it with. Yes. But he's standing there and saying, I'm not going to condemn you. 
even though the evidence is gone and I know what the evidence is, I'm not condemning you. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Neither do I condemn thee. And Jesus said unto her, Neither do I condemn thee. But what does he do? And this is an important last part of this message. He says, Go. But he doesn't give her license. That's not what this was about. That wasn't what this was about. And this is where, again, we're going to divert from the world. Because they're going to look at this and say, I can do what I want. No. Jesus is saying, go thy way and sin no more. The thing that you're into, I'm saving you from that. But if you go back to it, there's nothing I can do. The grace and the presence is here. If you go and go back to it, you're going to be right back where you started. You got two choices. Stay right here in my presence or go and sin no more. That's the choice. If you go and do it, you're going to be right back where you started. If you stay here, you're good with me. But if you're going to go, don't sin no more. Saints, God is full of grace. And that's the part that's going to confound not just those people out there, but those people in here. The grace part is going to confuse everybody because we have this sense of you get what you deserve. Not always. Sometimes the grace of God makes you get something you don't deserve at all. I know it's frustrating and you're saying, well, it's not fair. I don't care. Grace sometimes is not fair. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. I'll take the grace. I need his grace. I need his love. Thank you, Lord Jesus. May the blessings of the Lord be with us in Jesus' name.